Hi, welcome everybody. Thanks for joining us on Wonder Queer. We're very excited to have you here. Hi, everybody. I'm glad you're back. Welcome back to Wonder Queer. And uh, today we have uh, another and an absolute individual wonderful guest. Um, Lisa is with us today. And um, Lisa's pronouns are she, her. Um, she lives in Portland, Oregon with her um, partner, April, uh, son, Judah, and elderly pop, Sheppy. Uh, she currently works at, uh, as a chaplain at Providence Portland Medical. She's still on an explorative journey spiritually, though identifies more with non-dual spirituality and practices. She loves foods, mornings, and deep connections with anyone who comes across her path. Uh, so Lisa, we, we're here, we're ready. Tell us what you want to tell us. Thank you so much. Um, first of all, I just want to state that I love this invitation to share the unexpected and the disorienting transitions and offer us queers. So just thank you so much, um, you guys for creating this space. So I'm just going to share my coming out story and the intersection of my sexuality with my religious culture at the time. I grew up in the evangelical Christian church. My parents became Christian when I was about seven years old, and it had a radical impact on their lives. A lot of that was because they experienced community probably for the first time. Both my parents came from pretty complicated or tragic homes, and there in their mid 20s, they found familial figures that embraced them. So going to church, doing what they were taught from the pulpit, being accepted by this community and God really became their identity. So then thus, it became part of my sisters and my identity as well. At the age of nine, I began having some really mystical spiritual experiences that were not inside the box of this Christian community, but that's all I knew. Evangelical Christianity was what was informing my mind and behaviors growing up. And looking back, it was around this time that I began internalizing a sense of shame for feeling, experiencing, or being something outside of that culture and that box. Now, since most evangelical Christians are afraid of sex, talking about sex, unless it's, you know, condemning others. And I know that's a huge generalization, but really when we think of sexual healthiness, Christians aren't the first people we think of. The first time I heard about homosexuality was when our pastor read from the Old Testament about it being an abomination and a sin. I was a prepubescent age when I heard this. And I remember doing this self inventory in the pew. Oh my gosh. I only like girls. I had a crush on Miss Orr and my Sunday school teacher and all the Charlie's Angels and Mary from Little House in the Prairie. I don't like boys. Am I an abomination? Am I a sin? I wonder. Then I had my first kiss with a girl in high school and then other girls. And these moments became more sexual and my parents found out and that when I began believing that I was, I was a sin. So I hid from myself. Jumping ahead now, a few decades, 
I'm in my 40s, married to a wonderful man, Michael. We have our beautiful son, Judah, and I had been traveling the world as a missionary for 20 years and then became a co-pastor at a church here in Portland. I loved my boys. I loved being a mom to Judah. I loved working with people in their spiritual journeys, yet this hiding for myself was starting to cause pain that I couldn't hide anymore. So I went to therapy. I went to an EMDR therapist with a problem and a list of things that I was quite certain we needed to look at so we could fix this problem. I was like, hi, so I'm attracted to women and I know that's wrong. So here's my list of things to look at so we can fix it. Within this time frame, it's significant to say that I had also started a meditation practice based on mindfulness, not religion. By this point, I had been exposed to many cultures and spiritual beliefs that were beginning to be part of my own spiritual formation. And I was also in seminary that actually had me challenging many of my former beliefs and assumptions as well. So this one day, the intention set for my therapy session was on the words love and acceptance. For those of you not familiar with EMDR, it's the process of engaging your neurological patterns and networks that affect memory, feeling. It's a trauma-based therapy, really. I held devices in both my hands that vibrated one at a time, stimulated the, stimulating the needed parts of my brain. And as I sat there this day, I was taking back to the memory of my first kiss with that girl in high school. And I saw it as it truly was, honest, pure. It was winter, we were in the woods, it was snowing, the tree branches bending with the snow's weight. We could see our breath, feeling the warmth from one another's hands. We got closer until we kissed. Attraction, romance, desire, love and acceptance. I was fully me in this memory. I opened my eyes and my therapist, look, therapist was looking at me with this compassionate curiosity like she had seen me see me. The only words I found to express what I was processing were, I'm not a sin. Walking home from that session, I kept repeating these words with a sudden newfound knowing that there's nothing wrong with me. And oh my goodness, if I got this wrong all my life, what the hell else am I believing? That isn't correct. I sat and lived with this new understanding without telling anyone for a few months. Finally, I told Michael, we told Judah, my parents, and we told those in the Christian community I worked with. The latter led to me losing my job and most of the friendships I had made over my years of work as a spiritual leader. This was absolutely the greatest disruption in my life. The most painful because I was the initiator of it all. I like to bring, find, and keep the peace. I like happiness and believe at the end of the day that happiness is what influences all of our major life decisions and choices, even our religious ones. But if our choices are more about making others happy by disowning our own right to it, then that's harm, that's shame, that's fear. And that is not what we are brought to this rock in the universe to live in. 
The happiness we seek is the happiness we are. The only thing we can truly give is who we truly are. It's been seven years since my coming out, and I still face these thoughts and internalize shame for my past from time to time. But I'm learning to welcome them, allowing them room, because they are, in fact, part of my story. I just don't find my home in them any longer. Oh, Lisa, thank you so much. It was so moving. And um, yeah, and it just means really a lot to hear, you know, your journey through this very sort of formal and often um, complicated and often very, very painful religiosity. Um, and then to hear where you where you got to and how you've mm. been able to come back to yourself. And mm. it's just really beautiful. And at the beginning, you talked about the fact that, you know, um, one of the draws for your family was this, was the sense of community. And that was a really big thing that maybe your mom and dad were seeking. And I was just sort of wondering about, like, having that community, how that changed the culture of your family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great question. I think, um, sometimes I think, oh, I need to think of the positive things to say. <laughs> uh, so forgive me if I don't necessarily land on those, because if the, the main things that come to mind are, um, well, I will say this, I feel like the going to church, you know, like five days a week and um, having friends and social stuff, it gave my, uh, and believing in something greater than themselves. Um, gave my parents a sense of purpose. And I believe that purpose is a huge part of our spiritual life. We need it to, you know, move. Um, and so I, I felt like there was some purpose that, that they started um, finding uh, in their lives. Um, but our home life became very strict. It was filled with rules of this is what you do. This is certainly what you don't do. Um, and I think for them, their identity, as I was stating, and just their, their, their sense of self and acceptance was so based on whether or not they followed these rules and whether their kids did. <laughs> you know, um, my sister is a very, uh, she loves fashion and makeup and she did at a very young age. And my dad didn't approve of that because of what other people might think, you know, just in that very kind of small self-expressive way. So um, the community um, gave them purpose and gave them friendships and relationships. And I think honestly, like father, mother figures for, for my parents specifically. Um, but it, it also just kind of formed a very tense home life as they were, um, incorporating these new mm -hmm. ways to live. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I think that's where, a lot of that, um, my internalizing shame, that's really where kind of shame began for me because we would get in trouble for just doing something really innocent as kids do because the Bible doesn't teaches otherwise, you know? And so I began just feeling really trepidatious over so many small choices I would make as a kid and didn't know really how to have fun. Um, I didn't ever want to have friends over <laughs> to spend the mm. night because, you know, so it, 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 you know, this I, sounds really 
you know, traumatic, but it, it kind of was in some ways, you know, I, I mean, I had a good childhood in other ways, you know, but it, it, it did really impact um, a lot of the way I was just able to be. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's so it's, it's hard to think that about those situations that like, even for your parents, it may have been leading them to dislike themselves more in that strict, like, that that very rigid kind of way of being yeah so yeah, that would affect everybody absolutely yeah and I'm and um that is something that I am learning to have more compassion for um as I look at them and experience and 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 you know relate with them is more compassion for wow it's um it's sad you know that mm you maybe can't see past these things um but well you talked about when you were about nine years old you started having some mystical experiences that you felt were outside of the box of that the um religion and also that that shame was coming in can you elaborate or give an example of, of one of those mystical experiences as a nine-year-old? Yeah. Um, there were, there were several really starting from that point, but I'll just share my first one. And it was really, um, liberating. I was, um, I had recess at school and a girl was sharing, a friend was sharing with me that her parents were getting a divorce and she was really um, emotional about it, really broken up about it. And so that night I was laying in bed and I just was thinking about her and I just felt this, um, this empathetic, like this deep emotional pain for her. And I'm laying in bed and I just start weeping I'm just weeping and I'm just like, oh, Christy. (laughs) And um, just uh, physically um, impacted and emotionally impacted by this girl's story. I was crying so loud. My mom comes in the bedroom and I told her she thought something was wrong because I was shaking. And um, and I told her about my friend and she said, well, um, let's pray for her. And. I told her, I said, mom, I already am. Oh, I already am praying. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a, one of those mystical experiences where I knew something that I, I got from something else, you know, something from, from the divine, I believe from my source and um, that I wasn't taught that mm-hmm. being moved with compassion, feeling on behalf of someone else, um, is prayer. It is connecting, um, with a source of love that can be on, move on the side on behalf of that other person. Wow. You know, your story makes me think a lot about how, when we separate from our families, that for many of us, this is, this is a spiritual path that we take when we grow and realize that we're different than them and it's very painful but also can be really transformative and so you talked about deciding to come out to your husband Michael 
and then to your son, Judah, I may have this out of order, and then to your parents. And I'm wondering how that went then and how how things have changed like to now mm -hmm. with your relationship with them. Yeah, it was rocky um, for several years. I think there was a good two, two, three years where we hardly spoke. Um, and during this time, Michael and I got a divorce. It was um, what we both knew was we needed. And um, so getting a divorce and, you know, the impact that has on your child. And, um, and then at that time too, I was fired from being in the church and I didn't uh, pursue church going after that. So then there was this faith element as well as my sexuality mm. um, that my parents just, you know, thought I was um, just really on the side of darkness, <laughs> you know? And so I had, um, I was dealing with, with just that feeling of rejection and, um, and then just, and the fact that I was disappointing mm. my parents, um, things that I had avoided all my life. Right. Um, and, and then I was dealing with my anger, feeling and dealing with my own anger, um, towards them. Um, and so it, it just, for several years, there was extremely difficult. And it just has been recently where I have been able to um, be honest with, with my anger, work through stuff on my own to the point where I can be with them and not for very long, <laughs> <laughs> but I can be with them with more of a sense of, of compassion and um, freedom in myself to be who I am and allow them to be the same. Mm. Um, but I certainly have a lot of boundaries um, to what I feel I need to share with them or definitely want to. Um, it's definitely a different relationship, um, but I am better at being okay with that, um, feeling less shame for just existing when I'm in their presence, which is a huge thing. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. You're finding you're you're uh, developing your own liberation even within the context of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and you, you know, when you, um, once you had that wonderful um, memory and EMDR of your first kiss and the, I love, thank you so much for describing all the, the details of it, the snow, all of it was so Wasn't gorgeous. it gorgeous? So yes. gorgeous. I love oh it. God makes me want to make out. I know. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> let, let, let it snow. Let it snow. Right. Um, <laughs> um, and then you said to yourself, you know, like once you, once you saw the purity and beauty of that first kiss, you know, and it had been so reframed for you that you said to yourself, you know, um, if I'm open to reframing this such an important moment, what else have I gotten wrong? You know, and I'm just wondering where you kind of went with that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That was, the, that was really uh, the beginning for me. I think for years I had been challenging my beliefs, um, and things that I had been taught and learned um, in the Christian faith and being a, a missionary worked a lot overseas, um, just, just with other cultures and seeing some of these things just don't fit. <laughs> like, 
Um, but for me, that was really the first. And I remember shortly after that, I um, was working out with my therapist on my um, just fear of going to hell, you know, because I still, that was still kind of this residue, like thinking, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I'm okay, but maybe I'm not. I'm going to, you know, go to this lake of fire. I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> you know? ah, um, and bring so your surfboard. That was, <laughs> that was my next on my really just deconstructing these things that I had believed without really questioning. And I, and I realized, remember I was during a yoga practice. I was just by myself doing yoga and I was thinking about rejection, something that I struggle with. And I was just kind of like, you know, letting that move through my body. And, and I thought of hell and I thought, oh my God, isn't this the greatest fear of rejection? Like mm. you're going to be sent to this, like I let God is love and um, everything's love and, you know, your sins are thrown from far the east is from the west. But if you don't get it all right at the end of the life, you're going to this thing it's rejection and so mm -hmm. um that was when i really uh embodied um a new understanding of that and then i actually had a moment where i just kind of broke up with jesus mm -hmm. i broke up with with that religion mm -hmm. um and yeah yeah i know because it because if you change if you change the lens on hell like you did um mm. it just it slowly disintegrates oh my god into completely like what yeah what is, what is that and i love yeah. that you called it rejection because it's you know and it is it's just so and it's just this punitive system you know mm -hmm. and there's so it's so laden with um the the um structures of patriarchy and capitalism and white supremacy and it just makes it work so well you know when you have a place like hell you're going to go to, right? Yes. It's abandonment too. It's like, yeah. okay, well, you, you didn't, you missed this one part. So now like God, who was love, like you described now you're, you're on your own kid, you know, oh. you know, and being a chaplain working in the hospital, you know, uh, being with people and, and their families as they're dying. I mean, I remember this uh, one few days over a process of a few days one of my patients who was buddhist was dying and the other was the evangelical christian very strong in the evangelical part just um and i was working with both these families um at the same time and just seeing the difference in the acceptance of death and the welcoming of it the, in the buddhist family and i'm not trying to promote one religion over another but it was just my lived experience with these families is that to have the priest come in and welcome his soul, you know, to mm -hmm. um, the afterlife. And then the other family was scared shitless. I mean, they were just scared to death at, even though they believed in heaven, um, they were just afraid. And, um, you know, that has been part of my, my journey, just seeing their lives and thinking to myself, how, how do I want to end my life? You know, do I want to welcome it? Do I want to fear it? you know, and, um, and what are, how is my spirituality, um, helping me, um, with the wholeness of life, which includes death. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I like that you're saying that about the welcoming, because it makes me think about what you were talking about. I love the, your phraseology about welcoming shame, you know, mm -hmm. and, 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 
and finding your home there. And I wonder if you could just share a little bit more about, about that process for yourself. Yeah, I think for me, um, the first few years after coming out, I just really kind of like, I didn't want to have anything to do with anything Christian. And it just, you know, I was angry. Um, so it was just this, it was gross to me and stuff. And then I just started realizing as I became more fluent in accepting myself, like, no, wait, this is my story. <laughs> this is, this is my, this is who I am. I was raised this way. And so to not be angry when these, um, when I'm triggered, you know, to uh, recognize that this is how um, I had learned to deal and cope with certain situations. And so rejecting them and um, doesn't help me acknowledging their presence and letting them know that they don't need to, um, to you know, they don't need to control anymore. They can just mm. sit over here and, um, and let me live my life, you know? So I think it's just, it's an energy. It's a, a less of a having to get rid of something rather than, you know, even welcoming death, you know, it's, we, we take, we take it all and it's, who we are it's part of our becoming yeah, I love said. that yeah I use that a lot where I'm like I hear you and don't worry I got this now you know it's a, it's a great practice I think for those those little selves and little mm -hmm. yeah well I wanted to share with you before we go I had an experience I think you'll appreciate but um my an ex of mine who was raised in a foster home her mother passed away and i went to the funeral my mom met me there it was like uh in really in in the valley in southwestern virginia at a southern baptist church and i came in and said hello to like all her siblings who i'd met many times before and told them gave them my condolences and um, sat down for the service. And because I was there and visibly queer, the, the preacher who was doing the service made the entire thing about how homosexuality is, is an abomination. And he, he was looking at me, he was mm -hmm. screaming. I mean, he was like, I mean, it wasn't speaking in tongues, but it was nearly that. And so I feel really grateful because in, in that moment, there was a higher power for sure that was holding me. And I didn't, I was like, I had a, I was in a safe bubble where it did, it wasn't hurting me. It wasn't making me question myself, but I thought, you know, my mom being there, she, she would not have known that something like that could happen if she hadn't been there with me. And of course, you know, the saddest part of that story is that this woman who was so loving and accepting who had died, that was her service. I mean, mm -hmm. it wasn't about who she was. It wasn't about all of her good deeds and, you know, that she would go to heaven and any of that stuff that, that could have been drawn upon. Mm. So it's, See, that, that just breaks, breaks the heart, doesn't it? Like, Yeah. And I've questioned, you know, the way that I've wrapped my head around it since I've thought this, this man, I think he believed that he, that, that God was 
wanting him to do that, that, that he was like, that was what he was to do that day. Like to make sure no other homosexuals <laughs> came out of that service or something, or mm-hmm. like, you know, if anybody was thinking about it now, they know, although yeah. it could also be argued that that was egoic, you know, I mean, but or promotion. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. That sounds really good. Wow. That sounds really fun. Whatever they're doing, those queer people. Well, I do know you mentioned Mary and Little House on the Prairie and Mary can get it. Yeah. I had a crush on Mary too. Oh yeah. So. I'm not alone. No. So not at all. When, when she went blind. I know. But we would have been there for her. Yeah, you guys would have totally been there for her to support her. We could have helped her in that time. We would have changed her life. She may have gotten her vision back had we been around. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, Lise, it's been so wonderful to have you on the show. And thank you so much for sharing everything and being just telling, telling your story, being yourself, which who is so wonderful. And, um, yeah. Thank, yeah. thank you, Glee. Thanks for again for creating this space. I look forward to the retreat that you guys run. Yes. Oh, thank you. Yeah. We're excited for that too. <laughs> yeah, we're really excited for that. Oh, <laughs> a, a woman can wish. Okay. That's right. That's right. All right. And if you like our show, please like and subscribe. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And please tell your friends, we love to share your stories. They mean a lot to people. And until next time, keep swimming in the wonder. Keep cheering the queer. Bye. Bye.